This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here and in association with my good friends at Preaching Today, who shares this very, very similar ethos to me. Um, and that's just our, our hope, our desire is to help you get better at the craft of communication, the art of preaching, but always in a way in which your character leads the way. They are doing amazing work. I'm a member on Preaching Today. You can be a member too. They've actually created an amazing opportunity where you can just go to orderptnow.com slash cc30. You'll get 30% off just because you're a listener to the Craft and Character Podcast. But today, I am excited to introduce you. I know many of you know Pastor Levi Lusco. Uh, he's the senior pastor at Fresh Life. Uh, he's an author. Uh, he is a husband, a father. Uh, he's part of kind of the passion conferences, his teaching. Uh, the guy just has a heart for people, heart for the lost. And his latest book called The Last Supper on the Moon, which is such a great title. I, uh, began to dive into it. And I went to the Fresh Life website and every once in a while, I just tune into different preachers and I love to see what different guys are doing and different women are doing just uh, just on the art of communicating better. And I, I picked up this series, The Last Supper of the Moon and was listening to week one. And I was just like, man, I got to reach out to, to my friend Levi and see if uh, he'd be willing and able just to, to chop it up and talk preaching and talk about kind of the heart of his book because he has this ability to take concepts like the last supper on the moon and just kind of merge it in and it just it, it it's like he can take this idea some cultural event and then all of a sudden make the scripture even come more alive. So, I'm excited we're going to talk about it. He's going to break down his kind of prep process of how he gathers insights. I mean, just in one little line, it's worth the whole stinking podcast. But like we often do, we have a moment where we listen to a preacher and you get a sense of his sound. And so this comes from week one of the Last Supper on the Moon, and he's breaking down how to solve a problem. Hear this. Thirdly, he was, what was he doing on this day? I'm not a smart man, Jenny. He was solving a problem. That's what Jesus does. People bring problems to him. And you know what he does? He, he solves them. He works in them. All things together for the good. It doesn't always look like what those involved wish it would look like. But he always solves problems that are brought to him. This was a big problem. I wish I had more time to unpack the significance of the wedding feast in that culture in that day. It wasn't like today where it's a four-hour event. How long do you think a Hebrew wedding feast lasted? The answer is a week. A week. They turned all the way up, right? <laughs> and you're like, you're like, man. And, and did you know it was such, it, like, it would be bad. If you go to a wedding and they run out of food, that's bad. That's bad form. In that day, the wedding guests could sue the person throwing the party if the food and drink ran out. They could be fined. That's how seriously they took the party. That's how serious they took the celebration and the covenant of marriage and what it means to society and what it means to the world. They didn't take it lightly. They didn't take it flippantly. It was a thing, man. It was a thing. And Jesus was solving a problem of the social embarrassment and humiliation it would have been for this young couple to have no wine. He came to a place where they were running low, and he did so on purpose. He came where they were running low on purpose to solve the problem of humiliation, to save them. And I actually tend to think he was solving a problem on purpose where they were running low, and he caused the problem on purpose. How do I know that? It says that the text says that Jesus and his disciples were invited. But this is his first week on the job, meaning he's picking disciples still. He has just picked some of them. 
So they were like, Jesus, we want Jesus to come. And the word gets back, well, Jesus has got a couple disciples now. And oh, tell them that they can come too. Well, they had no idea the crew he was bringing. How much do you think Peter and Bartholomew and James and John, Sons of Thunder up in the biz, they're like, yeah. Like they're coming in like, how you like me now? This stuff's free. Put that in your purse, right? <laughs> Why were they running low on wine? I think it's because the disciples got invited last minute. I think when all of the catering plans were arranged and the bride was on the knot.com doing all her things, I don't think she had any idea these hooligans were going to show up. Is it possible that in your life at times Jesus will intentionally allow problems to exist so that he can reveal his glory in those same problems being solved? As you follow him, there is that tension of him being, as C.S. Lewis would put it, not a tame lion. Good, absolutely. But don't think he's safe for a second. And so he's solving a problem, one that maybe he caused. And he has promised to do the same for you. And if you doubt that little one, if you doubt that loved one, all you need to do is look up. For what will you find? You will find the moon, God's faithful witness, Psalm 89 says, in the sky. Pastor Levi Lesko, thanks so much for joining us. I love that teaching. And I just love, like, what's, what's kind of the heart of this series that you're trying to just kind of pour into, deposit into the people at Fresh Life? Yeah, well, I, th- I just loved it. John was so clear to say, hey, here's why I wrote my gospel. It's who Jesus is. And here's seven things he did that if you look at them out of everything you could focus on that are really going to give you a sense of his, who he is, his identity. And I think the heartbeat for me of this book and the series is figure out who Jesus is, then you'll know who you are. And I think in our culture, we do the exact opposite. We're trying to figure out who we are, and then we're kind of almost making God in our image where if you just focus on Jesus, you, you then get a real great head start on who you are. And it's so much more simple, even though it's counterintuitive. So this week, of course, you have the disciples in a storm. And we all face storms, right? Financial storms, relational storms, stuff with, with, with career Um, but what's crazy about this storm is that it's not a storm that came because they were like Jonah and in sin. It's not a storm they they dealt with because of the devil trying to screw with them. It's a storm they got into because they obeyed Jesus who said, get into this boat. And they did. And now they're facing, you know, what to them as professionals, as some of them professional fishermen seemed like it was going to kill them. So it must've been bad, right? And the answer is, is at their feet. They have these 12 baskets of fragments from the last time life was hard, literally between their their legs. So all they needed to do was look down and go, hey, when we couldn't feed the multitude, look what Jesus did. In this storm, surely he's going to come through. But instead, they do what I do so often, panic, make bad decisions, and have bad assumptions about God being forgetful. So I just love that, that we're given this clear recipe, and it's remember, remember who Jesus is in the storm you're going through today. Yeah, I, I mean, I loved, I was just listening to it, you know, uh, the other day and that whole dangers of forgetfulness, you know, everyone just got a chance to listen to it right now. That section, because I think it's so amazing, you know, you're in the word daily, you're teaching regularly. But isn't it fascinating how good we are at remembering the things we ought to forget and forgetting the things we ought to remember? And And I just felt like just even the picture, the way that you painted that picture of like, these disciples had Every, all these fragments of reminders of God's power, of who was in the boat with them. And yet it just becomes so easy, even with them as close to Jesus was to them, to forget. For you, like, what does that look like in your own life? What, what, are, what are moments where you go, man, like, ah, oh, man, it's, I, I, can, I can find moments where it's so easy to forget. Oh, every day, every day. And I think it's somewhat comforting to see that even the disciples uh, had had this ten- tendency. Because, you know, if I looked in the scriptures and just saw everybody just crushing it all the time, I think I would go, well, then w- there's no hope for me. You know, but I see uh, discouragement. I see doubt. I see failure. I see, you know, carnality. I see Peter trying to talk Jesus out of going to the cross. So if someone like that could go on to lead so well, and imperfect as he was, that gives me hope. Uh, but it also, I think, is uh, a challenge because they shouldn't have doubted. 
They should have looked down, saw the, the supernatural loaves that came from a little boy's lunchbox and gone, look. And by the way, Mark 4 had already happened before John 6. So they had been in a storm with Jesus sleeping and already made the mistake of assuming he didn't care and woke him up all, you know, and never wake up someone from a nap, by the way. That's a bad call. But I do love that the text says Jesus brought his own pillow with him. So that's fantastic. He, if he's on GQ, things I can't live without, he's like, my pillow, I'm bringing my pillow. But they had already gone through it once. He stilled the storm once. So now it was almost like he was giving them the next level. Like they had failed the test when he was there. So then now he's watching from a mountain and praying. So will they trust him now? And of course he has to come walking on water to, to, to still the storm again for them and tell them like, why, why do you doubt? Why, why do you not have that belief in me? And I think it's kind of a beautiful picture of what he was preparing us for ultimately. And that is to live without Jesus's physical presence but to still believe. And I know it, it does encourage me to think of past victories like that God performed when I'm in a you know challenging situation in a, um, a leadership situation or a relational dynamic to, to reflect back on the past mercies of God and go, look, if he did that, he's going to do this. If he's been faithful there, he, that's why David said, look, I killed a bear, I killed a lion, I'm going to be able to take out this giant. So I think it, in, a, in one sense, we, we have to remember certain things intentionally and others we have to proactively try and let go of them to keep pressing on. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's so beautiful. And there's this moment though that's so unique because this whole, this whole kind of sermon is based in the series called The Last Supper on the Moon, which is obviously the title of your, your book, which is a fantastic title, by the way. I love Thanks, it. Uh, and you have this moment of like remembering, but then you have like this also sense of an audacious goal, going somewhere that almost feels like, I don't think I could ever get there. So it's like, it's in one sense, I think we're so good at forgetting, but then I feel like in your book, you're detailing how you can actually get to somewhere that feels so far away and get this life that sometimes feels so far away. Talk about the the title of the book, the heart of the book, the reason of the book. Yeah, well, you know, I didn't know, maybe, you know, the people listening have known this forever, but I found out um, in 2019 that when Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong were on the, the lunar surface for the first time in July of 1969, that right before Neil took the famous first step, that Buzz first opened up a little package and brought wine and bread and actually took communion. And this was before they ate dinner. So the first thing ever eaten on the lunar surface was the Last Supper. And when that hit me, it just it just went off in my heart like a like a firework because you know that that is an end, but it's also a beginning. It's it's something meant to point backwards, but it's the whole the whole lunar mission points us forward. And you know, Psalm eight says, "When I consider the heavens, the work of your hands." the sun, the moon, the stars, what is man that you are mindful of him? And so I just kind of was thinking about how we all have parts of our heart, parts of our lives that feel murky, like outer space, that feel unknowable. And, and I kind of started to realize if we look at what it took for the exploration of outer space to happen, there's a lot of parallels to what can take place on the inner space. So there's that parallel there. And just like you can't ever get to the moon on your own, like you and I, like last night I was out in my front yard, you know, just thinking through the day and, you know, naturally you look up and you kind of go, well, if, if it hits you, um, the next time it hits you, I would just encourage you to remember that's the same moon that's always been there. We don't get a new moon every thousand years or whatever. So Genghis Khan, Abraham Lincoln, Amelia Earhart, you know, that's the same moon. And it's the same moon that Jesus prayed under in the Garden of Gethsemane, which because of Passover's connection to the lunar movements, it would have been a full moon. So that shining light of the full moon hanging uh, in the sky, that's the same moon that I'm worried under. It's like, how can I think that my big problem is now all of a sudden going to stump God? You know what I mean? Like he's been faithful all of history, but no, not with Levi's issues. So it just kind of resets and calibrates your heart a little bit. I love that. And I feel like in your book, you talk about this, that Buzz actually had like a note card with him too, with like a verse. He had two verses written down and the photos actually in the book. I, I had to pay for the rights to this image, but which a little annoying because a lot of the images were NASA. So I got them for free, but some of them I had to buy and that one was one, uh, but it's worth it because it's a photograph of a, of a three by five note card with his handwriting and it's John 15, five, 
which is I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And then it's Psalm 8, the one I quoted a moment ago. And he brought those two verses to the moon and read them. Of course, he didn't get to televise or broadcast any of his remarks or what he was doing with communion because on Apollo 8, the year before, 1968, uh, they had read the Genesis account while orbiting the moon on Christmas Eve. And uh, the whole 500 million person audience included the famed atheist Madeline Murray O'Hare, who promptly sued NASA, alleging that reading scripture verses over public radio you know, was somehow a violation of the separation of church and state. That went all the way to the Supreme Court. They tossed it out as frivolous and that it was not, it didn't have any merit. So the head of the astronaut office, when Apollo 11 came around, said, look, Buzz, you can do this. Just, I don't want the nightmare of another scandal or PR thing. So just, just, just keep your comments to yourself. So for many years, it was never publicly divulged that he had done this. I I remember like seeing an like an old tape or like hearing about the 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 reading of Genesis for Apollo eight, and I had never heard of like the Last Supper on the Moon. Like I like until like I I saw your title of the book and I was like that's such an interesting title. What is what is it about? And then reading through that, I was like, oh my goodness, it totally makes so much sense. And and just just the thought of this is what he carried with him into space. And you know, it's a three by five note card. What, what verse would you have? If, you, if you're going to space, you got a three by five note card, what, what are you putting on there? You know, Psalm a really good choice. You know, I think I, I, really, I had them, I don't know if you pulled off the fly leaf, but I had them put the uh, Psalm 8 under the, uh, hidden under the, as an Easter egg. And I just love it because my favorite thing about it, Steve, is when it says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the actual Hebrew is your fingertips. So it's like, you know, what do you do with your fingertips? Uh, you would do something like a model, something tiny, like put a puzzle together. So we think about the vastness of space and the Milky Way and all of this. And, and God's like, yeah, I just kind of put that together with my fingertips. Like it didn't even take my forearms or my biceps, you know, I, I just love that. Well, and, and I think this this is one of my favorite parts about you as a communicator. Um, obviously, I love when you just dive into God's word. We always bring like these unique like elements, whether from culture, whether some random story of like communion elements, but then you have this ability to make us look up and also to look in. And I'm just curious about your process. Obviously, this is a this is a a podcast for communicators about the craft of preaching, the prep, the the hard work. You make so much of this look so easy when you deliver a message at Passion or you deliver a message at Fresh Life or another conference. And, and yet I know it takes so much time. I know that you put in like just sweat and tears and blood and effort your whole life and, and God's like showing you stuff. Talk about that prep process. How, how does that look for you and the Fresh Life team? Well, thank you for those kind words, Steve. Um, Danny Meyer, who founded Shake Shack, he has this great book called Setting the Table that you have to read to work at our church because it's all about hospitality, which I think the church should be known for, right? It's literally a qualification for elders in the pastoral epistles, but we kind of downplay its importance, you know? I know lots of people who have lost their, you know, right to church and ministry because of, you know, failures in their marriage or, or, or whatever, but not as many that didn't do a good job of welcoming people into their home. But that's literally a qualification to be a preacher. What a, what a thought, right? Jesus is a friend of sinners who came eating and drinking. So anyhow, long story short, great book. But he says in the book that one of the keys to running a restaurant well is ABC. And he calls it ABC, always be collecting and then always be connecting. And this is not as much with Shake Shack. It's more with his, uh, you know, he's got Michelin restaurants in New York City. Um, and one of the things he says is like to be a mater d or to be a, you know, a, a really great server. It's like knowing people's idiosyncrasies, their quirks. Is it their anniversary? Is it their birthday? What do they love? Like if they come back, don't offer them something you, you found out the first time they're allergic to. But you can't connect those dots if you don't collect the dots. So there has to be a system for the retrieval of information that you've kind of stockpiled on the guest. So I, I kind of took that as my mantra with preaching because you can't connect dots you didn't collect. So, you know, I'm kind of trying to always read. I'm trying to always read widely and broadly and not necessarily anything that's rigidly connected to my subject matter. 
you know, whether it's a book about the Wright brothers or a book about Leonardo da Vinci or a book about, you know, space travel or whatever it is, which is kind of then later on the rabbit trail of this connects to this, this connects to that, but it only works as well as your system for storing that information, you know? So if, 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 if you have a great idea, it's jotting it down for a future thing. And then down the road, being able to, to reverse and, and connect those dots of, of the thing. And, and not really, um, to me, needing, like I said, it to be rigidly focused on what I'm, what I'm studying at the moment, because, uh, at times uh, the greatest illustration will come from, you know, World War II or this event over here or something about Winston Churchill. And it'll just kind of bring new insight. And, and, and as you mentioned, hopefully cause you to like look up and go, Oh, that's interesting. And it, it like during the pandemic, one of my favorite things to think about was the battle of Britain, you know, when Hitler was trying to take over England and what they had to do to get through that and the Spitfire planes and, it was, you know, bombs were being rained on, on, on London every day for this, like, was it 57 days or something like that? And they had to deal with that. And, and yet we got through that and we're going to get through this. So I, I don't know, it kind of normalizes what we're facing. So talk about like when you collect that data, you're constantly reading, you're listening to podcasts, you're around interesting people, you're seeing stuff. Do you have like, are you a write it down in a journal guy? Are you a voice memo yourself on a phone? Like how, how do you collect that data and store that so that you can go back and connect dots later? Very good. Yes. The answer would be, uh, see all of the above, you know, I have a moleskin always handy. I do send myself voice memos profusely, but I also ultimately try and get, get all the good stuff to Evernote. You know, if you took away my Evernote, you'd be cutting me off at the knees for sure. Cause I have about 10 years worth of you know, sermon starts, uh, story prompts. Uh, that's where I harvest and organize all of the the data for books and sermons and series and upcoming everything. So that's kind of where I live and die. Dude, that's amazing. I, I heard that uh, Rivers Cuomo from Weezer, that they basically on his MacBook, there's like 700 songs. And so like R- Rick Rubin will like listen to them and just go, okay, this one, this one, this one. Songs that will never probably ever see the the light of day the, the collection of data points that you probably have in your Evernote that may never become a sermon, may someday be a chapter in a book or a sermon series. How do you kind of um, decide? This is a tweet. This is a message. This is a chapter. This is a whole book concept. Do you have like a, a way of articulating that in a, or, or deciphering what is what? Yeah. Um, you know, the book ones are bigger because it's obviously something you're really going to live with. And my biggest thing on those is I, so I kind of refuse to preach it if I really think it's going to be a book. And that's the hardest thing that the self-control it takes once I know it's going to be a book to not preach it next Sunday, you know, cause you have a grist, you have, you have, you need grist for the mill every weekend, you know, and I don't mean to say that crassly cause I'd kind of object to the idea of it being content, but you know, at the end of the day, it is, you know, we do have to communicate something. There's got to be a message. And so it takes for me self-control to keep back stuff that I know would be great preaching today, but it's going to, you know, that I have to just remind myself, uh, you know, to be a good steward and more people are going to read the book and I'm going to have more time with someone. I know if someone listens to an audible book with me, I have them for 13 hours, depending on what speed they're listening to it at, you know. Whereas someone who comes to church, you know, once once to twice per month, which our studies show the average person pre-pandemic was coming once to twice per month. Now it's in more more infrequently than that. You know, I, how long will it take me to get 13 hours with someone? So I think a lot of life change can happen. It's why summer camp is so powerful for students. You get uninterrupted pockets of time without TikTok and whatever else. And so so I'm trying to steward the books uh, in, in 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 that mentality. But then it's also it's an, it's more, um, I think art than science. It's more, um, feel than it is exact rules. And then of course, principles are made to be broken too. So, uh, but I think you can't, you can't, um, I can't really put it into a system as much as know in the moment and also believing the Holy Spirit's leading in that too. Yeah. One of the things I really appreciate when I watch, uh, your messages at Fresh Life, you, you know, if I go to the website, watch it, you have underneath, like in the, the play area, like a section that will be like, you know, the third point, dangers of forgetfulness. And it will be like time stamped. And the next point, time stamped. 
which always makes me wonder, like, how do you do that? Do you send like your outline? Do you, do you think that way? Like, Hey, we can break this chunk up. Or do you have like a team that kind of goes back there? And after you listen, after they listen to it, go, Oh, this is how we can break that teach up. Yeah. They, that is the second, not the first. Um, I don't have any really hand in that, uh, that we have a great team and they they're listening live. So I know that they're um, like, like the basket of fragments, the disciples are told to gather. We have that mentality. Um, so, you know, like, like I recently released my first devotional called Take Back Your Life. And I put it in the front so people would know this is a basket of fragments. This is uh, edited out material. This is stuff that I wanted to be in the books or a sermon that didn't make it, you know, in there. And I want to make sure we're, we're saving it all. Because, you know, for time, you can't say everything. And like a statue being carved out of marble, it's always what's being removed that makes it great. So, but you end up with some great stuff on the cutting room floor. And so we try and harvest that um, multiplication. We take staff content from, like I teach our staff or whatever, and try and find new, new ways for it to live on a social media carousel or a leadership, whatever. Um, but they're listening in real time. And the team is parceling out what's going to be great for socials. What's going to, and then of course, they're also timestamping where the, where the beats hit so that someone looking in just want, has 10 minutes can just, you know, grab that. Yeah. Seriously, if you're listening to this, you need to go to Fresh Life and just see how they've done this. This is amazing. The way that they've taken just, you know, 40 minute message and just chopped it into seven, eight, nine sections. Some sections are <clears throat> are eight minutes long. Some are like 90 seconds long, but they're so impactful just in the way that they are utilizing that content on different streams of social media or just even on their website. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, okay. So question is the connecting from the Shake Shack you're really good at like connecting with your audience. What, you know, and it's, it's again, you've got great content. You're a great storyteller. You're able to pull and collect data, but there's also a lot of people who, who have great things to say, but there's this wall up that you can't seem to break through or receive from. Talk about that for you. Like, is that something you saw growing up? Like, is that something you learned at, you know, at a church in Southern California? Like, but there's just something about you. I feel like when you are, you are just teaching or preaching or sharing something, it just, um, it feels like you're speaking to me. It feels like you're speaking to that one person in the room, even though there might be thousands at the Mercedes-Benz Center or thousands in Montana listening. Like, talk about why you do that and, and how you do that. Well, it's very gracious. Um, I, I, I think that's something we should all aspire to. Even hearing you say that, I'm like, man, I want to improve at that. I know for sure. Like, let, let me answer that um, with writing. Like when I'm sitting writing a message, I never try and think, um, how will the stadium hear this? How will a big room hear this? How will my whole church hear this? Um, I usually try and invite one person into the, the chair in my office and write that for that one person. Now, that might change from chapter to chapter or even por portion of the message. But just now I was writing a sermon um, and I was trying to imagine like, how does the person whose wife just left him hear this? How does the person who gonna, cause I, if the more I can do the, the job for them of raising their hand going, hey, hey, what about, you know what? And, and, and do that for them. I'm sort of like, then, I, then they can actually listen. You know what I mean? Like I, I have this person that I, I always want to acknowledge and it's the hypothetical objector. And I think, a lot of crap that preachers say, you know, it won't get, it doesn't pass the test of just even acknowledging, you might have great, like you said, stuff to say, but if you don't at least acknowledge the elephant in the room of what the person who's going to hear this, and I don't do it perfectly, of course, but I try to at least listen and pay attention. The person far from God, the person who has had a bad, you know, Christian friend who's, and this is their last listen they're going to give before they throw their hands up and bail, you know, and the person who, you know, is hardened or, you know, and then always being in mind, keeping in mind that person who's, he doesn't know Jesus and they're hearing all this going, dude, this is amazing, but how do I get in on it? You know? So I think if you just think it through those levels, it, it goes a long way. In, in the course of a message, are you thinking and having multiple kind of guests come in, sit in this chair, or is it typically, man, for most message, it's that one person and I'm speaking to them the whole time. It can change. You know, I would say, it, it, like, it can be from point to point. Like, this point might be more for this person or this that I have in my head, you know. Uh, and that changes, like like I said, one chapter, I may have had this person in my mind, you know. I Like, when I wrote my book, Swipe Right, about sex and romance and dating, 
the whole time uh, I was writing this chapter called Hair Begins to Grow, or Sam, um, Samson's Hair Began to Grow, I was thinking about that person who's made some sexual mistakes, but is now saying like, is there hope for me? You know, so there's one specific person in my life who was in the office chair with me while I wrote that chapter, but someone else, you know, in the, in the other one. So it does change in, in, and in preaching. Um, it's helpful to me that I actually have living, breathing people in my church who I, it's not a message in a bottle, like a book, you know, I don't necessarily know who's going to read the book, but I, I do know people in my church and I try and read stories and stay aware of the suffering and the hurting and, you know, the people who I've visited and prayed with in the hospital. And, and so it, it's a lot easier with, with our congregation. It, I, that makes so much sense. I love the intentionality behind that. And again, if you're listening to that, like that, that's such an easily applicable thing for you to do this week and prep for your message coming um, this coming Sunday. I, I wonder too, Levi, like when you are teaching and again, you, you've got so much content, but you also, I feel like there are these moments where uh, you will just go into a, a story or I'll, I'll feel like it will feel like as I'm watching online, there's like, this wasn't in your notes. Like you just felt like, hey, I got to say this story or I got to tell this, uh, I got to speak to this room right now. How much of your talk do you go in going 80% is like, I know where I'm going and I'm leaving 20% to the Holy Spirit of like some sense of there could be a, a story here. And if not, then I'm just going to keep going in my notes. How, how how flexible or adaptable are you in real time on a given weekend? You know, that that's ebbed and flowed. You know, when I started out, I would have had every word manuscripted, you know, that I was going to say and actually set it in that order. And then, you know, I would, all, you, what do you call it? Um, Spurgeon called it unction, where you feel something hard right then, you go for it. That's, that's, that's skiing a black diamond though. You know, you, you're, 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 uh, but when you sense the Holy Spirit, you go with it, you know? But I always like to say like, God can speak to me just as much in my desk as he can in the pulpit. So I'm not presuming that I'm not gonna study and, and just kind of wing it. I think that's really um, uh, dishonoring of people's time. You know, I, if I think about, um, every person who's listening to a 35 minute talk multiplied over, that's a lot of time I'm going to give an account for, you know, 20 people, 30 minutes. That's a lot of time, you know, and, and it gets bigger as you scale that out. But so I always wanted to like do all of my part. And then if the Holy spirit wants to land like a dove in the moment, great, but I'm not going to throw myself off the theological roof and ex ex assume that angels are going to catch me, you know? So, um, but, but right now the season I'm in and I'm, you know, my, my notes have changed and ebbed and flowed my method of, of, and I have, you know, now 20 years to rely on too, that is nice. Um, but what I'm doing now is, is a different thing and I'm over preparing and I'm walking into the pulpit with maybe twice as much as I need to. And then I'm in real time, sort of like I have maybe two ways I could go about it. And they're both flushed out, even with kind of how it, a story or whatever, and so it, in the moment, I'm enjoying that of having more to say than I have time to say it in and then being able to select on the fly, which is it, with based on feel, the room, the Holy Spirit, and how it's all kind of flowing where, where I'm going with it. Uh, it's interesting. That's amazing. Now, if you have multiple services, will you go, ah, oh, man, actually now I'm going to try it the other way for another service? Like, or, or do you typically roll with it if you went the first service going down this choose your own adventure second service. Like, I think we're going to stay with that or does do you go? Okay, it can vary. Service. You know, it yeah. can for sure. I would say <laughs> if it didn't go particularly great the first time yeah. you might get, you might get a, yeah. a different version, but even that, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm just at a different place right now of, you know, what is, what is great? Is the standing ovation great? Is the quiet silence great? You know, the moment that feels good to me where they're like, yes, might very well be the, the, the least, the last least likely thing they needed to actually hear the conviction, the quiet, that awkward is all right. And I think as a young preacher, I wanted everything to go off and to be big, you know, but not everything that goes big, uh, or, 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 or pop off on YouTube is what people really need to, to hear. That's so good, man. I want to go back to your book, um, the Last Supper on the Moon. And I want to just kind of say like, again, reading through it just was fantastic. I, I thought there was so much in there that, um, again, just 
I think it's going to help so many people on the inside. And obviously you've walked through um, so much high highs. Obviously, you know, is you've written about um, the loss of your daughter. You've, you've experienced like trauma and grief. That's just, um, I can't even begin to try and fathom. How much does that walking through the pain just created like a level of empathy or pastoral guidance to say, man, I, I, I want everyone to get this, this inside life, right? Um, talk, talk about that, like that, that journey for you and that pastoral heart that's come out of it. It's incalculable, right? The, the, the Sermon on the Mount begins with these beautiful little cascading pearls of blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. Now, okay, like bless them. What does blessed mean? What does it mean to be blessed? Because blessed literally means if you unpack the language, oh, how happy. So, oh, how happy you should be if, and you're assuming it's material prosperity, like connection privilege, like, nope, it's those who mourn, those who are hungry, those who are, you know, persecuted. And what is the blessing of it? I think the blessing is the interior life. The blessing is if you mourn successfully, which is to run to God crying and cussing, you know, run to him though, uh, like Habakkuk did, uh, that, that makes you bigger. You know, that makes you heavier in a good way. That makes you stronger. That makes you, that's, that's why you're like, James says, man, when you suffer all kinds of trials, count it yourself lucky. Oh, how, like we should be looking at people suffering and go lucky. You know, Catherine Wolf, she's in a wheelchair. She's had the stroke. Half her face is paralyzed. She says she cherishes that. Johnny Erickson Tata says she, you know, has no, no more of God in her wheelchair than out. Like that's someone we should look at and go lucky. Now, now, of course, I'm not saying go, you know, you want to hurt yourself or be masochistic about pain. But when God grants you worthy of suffering for his name in some way, that means he's getting ready for some deepening in the soul. And what I try and unpack in the book that I've, I'm learning to live out in my life is everyone has a backside of their moon. Everyone's got a more damaged backside that we try to keep away because the moon never shows its back to us. Every night when you look at a full moon once a month or whatever, you're seeing this, the man on the moon, the same front. It never shows its backside. Your whole life, you've never seen the back of the moon unless you've looked at images from Apollo 8 or you know the, the Russian unmanned probe that went in 1957, um, Vostok. Uh, but when we saw it for the first time, it was startling how damaged it was because of all the asteroids and meteorites that hit that side of it coming towards us. And I think humans, Mark Twain said it best, everyone's a moon and we all have a damaged backside we try and keep out of sight. Because I want to look like Steve, I want to look like Louie, I want to look like whoever, David Crowder. But the reality is God allowed me to face what I did and he wants to use it for his glory. And so I think you know the journey of inner space and outer space, the tension there is figuring out what makes you weird and broken also makes you wonderful and beautiful. Yeah, man, that's so beautiful. I, I, I feel like too, the, in our culture, there's so much around, I don't want anybody to see the backside. I don't want to, I don't want anybody to see the inside. I don't want, I don't want. And yet I feel like in the book, you just talk about going to work on that inside on, on the parts that for many of us, like we just want to push away. Um, Character is a big deal. And I feel like it's a really, really hard um, reality. You know, I think about Dave Chappelle, you know, season five, he signs this $50 million deal and then he just bounces. And, and he says, success can take you places that character cannot sustain you. And you're, you're kind of in this like unique season where, again, the last decade, you've been one of the fastest rising voices in our country, which thanks be to God, like I, I'm so grateful for that. And the importance of you just, you and your wife, just working on character stuff. I've seen it. I've heard it. How, what does that look like on the regular? I mean, I always see you traveling with your kids. I see that there's just see like the intentionality, but can you just talk a little bit about that? Because oftentimes I think um, we might see all character, but not the platform or, or platform, not always the character. How are you doing both and doing them well? Mm. Well, I, I would not put my hat in the ring as the, the poster child for doing that well, but I would say, um, you know, we all have that shadow side. We all have our demons. We all have our insecurities. We all have, and that's why I love, you know, I didn't try to make the book, a, 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 um, you know, a, a puff piece for Buzz because he's an imperfect guy. You know, yes, he brings communion to the moon and that's a beautiful thing, 
but then he's also so complex where he wanted to be first out so bad and and Neil got it and and Buzz almost was tortured and didn't see that he was the second guy on the moon and that's huge. He just saw that he wasn't first and that um, his ex-wife said was was something he focused on more than the fact that he went down in history and it kind of tortured him and he ended up dry, going to, you know, into addictions and it messes up his, his marriages and his, his kids. And there's a lot, of course, to that. But the only reason I tell that story is not to pile on him, but to expose what I know is in my heart. You know, there's so many ways where I'm, I should be looking at how blessed I am and how fortunate I am, but it's so easy to just look at someone else's platform, someone else's opportunity and always see yourself as never having arrived. You know, and so I think the journey isn't about where you go, but it's about who you become along the way. And I think it's so easy to miss out on the beauty and majesty of God's work in your life because you're you're constantly, you know, sizing yourself up based on where you're not instead of where you are. And so, you know, my goal is, you know, to to not just be able to say like mission accomplished. I did did this stuff or did these things because those become hollow the moment you try and put more meaning on them than just, I did what God told me to do, but also make sure I'm developing. And, you know, for me, that's been a big journey with a lot of work with my counselor, with my wife, with my kids, uh, a lot of humble pie, a lot of, I'm sorry, I, I'm about to turn 40. So I'm at this kind of turning point of like, where was I at in my twenties, thirties? And then it's like, where do I want to be in 20? I'm going to blink and I'm going to be 65, you know? And so, you know, I, you, what do you, what are your, what's going to be said about you? What's your legacy? Who are you, who are you opening up doors for? I think that's, that's where you want to live, right? Yeah. It's so good. I, I was thinking as you were talking about that, about buzz, like Brian Wilson, you know, lead singer of the beach boys and they, they released pet shop boys. And it's like, everyone's saying this is the greatest album ever. And then Sergeant Peppers comes out from the Beatles and it, it literally spiraled Brian Wilson to the point of, we will never be able to dethrone Paul and John, George and um, Ringo. And I mean, Pet Shop Boys is like still like top 10 of all time. It's unbelievable. But couldn't, couldn't like literally say, oh yeah, that's, they're great. I'm great. It's okay to, for that to be more celebrated than this or to come second. But it's hard in that human spirit. And it's hard for guys who are driving or achieving like you and me when you start to feel that, how do you come back to center? What does, what does that look like? If, if yeah. there's those moments where does like bring you back to it, it you are blessed, it, happy think, to be. I, oh gosh, that's such a, this is a great conversation. Um, I wish we all could be California boys, uh, California girls. Uh, no, I think, you know, for me, it's, it's, it, I, I know it's coming on because of my consumption of Instagram and you know, all those things, YouTube. I think I, you know, if I am, living in that too long, I think I have to shock my senses. I go read a letter, go read someone who's written in talking about what this, what this ministry meant to them. Like, like the prayer, it's, it's those things. And, um, and I think, uh, it's, a, it's incredibly grounding to, to say with David out loud, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. I have a good reward and to realize like, I don't deserve anything. So what, why in the world would I, you know, be over here going like, why didn't I get this when, I don't deserve what I have and, and that gratitude. And it's like journaling, um, time alone in nature, you know, a walk, like those things just reconnect you back. Some breathing. I've learned a lot. I, I think it's really interesting that in, in both Eden and Pentecost, the, 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 the verses involve breath. God breathed into the dust. God breathed into uh, the Holy Spirit on the disciples. The Holy Spirit's a wind. So I've taken a lot of um, deep, slow, deliberate breaths, grounding with prayer and scripture. And that is in re one really important aspect of me reckoning with those icky forces inside that, that can't go, how dope is it to be second? I, I'm on the moon, you know? <laughs> That's so good. I love that you brought up breathing because I think that is, I think there's something that just grounds you in your body. It just allows you like, oh yes. You know, as Dallas Willard, you know, said that uh, the kingdom of God is closer than the air that we breathe. You know, it's just, there's, there's just something in that little practice that just, it does it. Like it mutes all the noise around us. Um, I, I think too, you know, those in ministry and whether it's 
uh, whatever size church it is, right now, like I feel like criticism is higher than ever. And sometimes it can come from emails. Sometimes they can come from Twitter. Sometimes they can come from, you know, uh, a dear friend who's just up and left the church, you know, and for really no apparent reason, how, how do you deal with, with criticism? Um, cause I'm badly, at times, ter- badly. terribly, <laughs> like a petulant child who didn't get his way initially. <laughs> My wife and I have this joke called second answer, you know, cause our first response to almost anything is the wrong one, you know? So we both like, we'll both, ah, I can't believe this. And then it's like, all right, second answer, you know? So it's almost like you have to give yourself the, the reality of being human to feel what you're feeling. You yes. Know? I don't know why you, why you were saying that just on the last thing I was just thinking, you know, like to the person, you know, who is like, well, you know, it's easy for you to say because you did this or easy for you to say you did that. I just think it's important for us to all, all to remember that whatever we wish we had that we don't have, there's someone out there who has it, who doesn't, is not happy with what they have. And there was some version of you at some point along the way who saw what you currently have today yourself and said, but when I get that, I'm going to be happy. So it's like, just remember that because that's really important. On the criticism thing, there's no easy way around it. Some of it's unfair. Some of it's properly good, right? Learn from your critics, have, have thick skin, you know, suck it up and keep going. Even Jesus had haters. Like there's, there's so many of all those basic things, you know, and, 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 you know, just hopefully you're learning and, and incrementally improving as well. I love your secondhand answer. I, I remember, you know, I went through a season where there was a lot of, lot of tension about some stuff that I was a part of and, and I didn't know what to do with it. And, my mentor just kept taking me to the Psalms, like the words of David. And they're like, I mean, this is not like a literal quote, but he basically be like, just with my enemies, I want to like crush their head and watch them bleed. Like you just, you know, and you sit there and you're like, oh my goodness. But then you realize, oh, he's not actually doing this. He's just saying this out loud, but he's got to say it somewhere. And he says it in a Psalm and he says it to God, like, God, this is where I'm at. This is what, and then to take what you said, Oh yeah, but the secondhand answer yeah. is what I'm gonna do. But I need to I need to put that 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 like angst or that frustration or that somebody saw a part of me that I didn't want them to see. The backside got shown. Like I, I like I gotta put that somewhere. And I love that David models. Yeah, bring it to God. Yeah, Eugene Peterson said in Leap Over a Wall, we cannot rightly love our enemies until we pray out all all of our hatred. And I think what you're saying is pray out the hatred, pray it out, get it out, get it out there. Okay, God, this is how I really feel. And then he's like, yeah, I knew, I knew that. Okay. Now what are we going to do about it? You know? Well, Levi, thank you so much, man. I, I appreciate you. I appreciate your work. And um, just, just lastly, like we're going to do a giveaway for the last supper of the moon. I, I want as many people on the planet to, to read this book. But one of the things that we do at the end of this podcast is we just kind of um, allow the the person I'm interviewing to to do a little benediction, and and I just thought maybe just for a few moments, like if you just wanted to riff, just um, I love you created like a little video like uh, on the book, and it's once I saw that before the book dropped, I just pre ordered and got it. Um, but just a little like one more heart. This is this is why I wrote it, and then if you wouldn't mind just leading us in a little kind of benediction blessing, and then we'll call it a day. Yeah, well, I just think you know for me. Uh, I wrote the book in, and thank you, Steve, for having me on and for this opportunity with your audience um, and for you listening. Uh, It's an honor. Um, I wrote the book in the midst of a difficult season in my journey with panic and anxiety. and, um, And for whatever reason, the moon just really comforted me. It's movements. And I just, but then I discovered in the Psalms that the Bible says that it's God's faithful witness in the sky. And uh, so it's almost like his bat light shining that it's going to be okay. And, and just as, you know, buzz brought blood and, or the, or the wine and the bread, speaking of the body and blood of Jesus, Jesus, even himself under that same moon dealt with anxiety, dealt with panic when he in the garden of Gethsemane said, God, I, I don't want this. If there's any other way for this cup to pass from me. And yet, as he looked up to the sky under that full moon, he, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so I like to think that even in that moment, the, the moon comforted him and, and God's creation and God's power and, and even just how the moon speaks of seasons. And there's no moon, there's new moon, there's, there's, there's waning and waxing, there's full and half and you know, there's seasons to life and, and the moon just keeps spinning. But at the end of the day, 
the, the beautiful thing about Jesus being the son of God is that that means we get to be the moon we were born to be, broken backside and all, and the moon shines brightly, but it's not the one that comes up with the glow. It only shines the light of the one that shines on it. And so just as the, the moon just takes the sun's light and shines it out, so we get to say like, ah, the pressure's off of me to have the light, to have the answer, to have the power. I just get a spin and have the seasons and go with the flow, trusting God's goodness. And in the midst of it, he's shining on me. And so I just would encourage you that religion says do, do, do. And the cross uh, tells us that God says done, done, done. It's finished. And the power is not based on you, but it's placed on you because of him. So uh, be that moon that you were born to be. It's beautiful. Pastor Levi Alesco, thank you so much, man. Grateful for you. Thanks, Steve. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Crafting Character Podcast. I love, love, love just this chance that we have just to chop it up, to talk about preaching, to talk with some incredible voices who are doing some incredible things for the kingdom. And this podcast could not happen without you. And so if you uh, like it, would you mind just sharing it? If, if you ever see anything that we post like online or you have a suggestion, just know, uh, message us online email me at steve at steveryancarter.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know how we can make this podcast more beneficial to you as our listener. I- I'm, I'm grateful again, just to PT. I mean, the, the fact that we are on that network with Christianity Today and the opportunities there, man, it, it, God is just really blessing and doing some amazing things through this podcast. Um, but again, I my, my dream um, and I love just having this, this conversation, but my dream is to get people, preachers, women and men in living rooms with amazing coaches and actual mentors to develop them. You think about the best athletes, you think about the best leaders, you think that um, they all have coaches and they all have mentors. And sometimes when it comes to preaching, we just don't have that. I want you to have that, friends. So uh, go to the Ascent Leader dot org ascentleader.org and you will you're gonna see this you're gonna get to see um just some cohorts that we have coming up that are really gonna help you get better as a communicator and then our last final sponsor is food for the hungry if you've been around with the craft and character podcast you know that i am a big big fan supporter believer in the work in the people and the leadership of food for the hungry they're doing some amazing amazing work and i'll just say this creative work. I mean, it's not just like your typical kind of like NGO. I mean, there, there are some ideas that they have been putting out into the wild that um, is just literally changing the game of helping uh, those who are just stuck in poverty. And I'm just a firm believer of how they are just embodying the ministry of presence, embodying the posture of Christ, and really trying to help churches come alongside to inspire the church on the ground that's already at work there to have more kingdom impact. So uh, check them out. But my friends, I hope, I hope that today uh, you will just think about ways at which you can collect and connect those dots. That that just idea, collect and connect, uh, may it just inspire you as you're collecting info, collecting stories, collecting cultural insights, collecting truths from the text and connecting them to the heart of the kingdom of God. Much love, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Grace and peace. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys. You know, a pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know?